Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Hey, good morning, Connect Church. I'm so glad that you are watching online again, and uh, I'd hope that you are beginning to feel comfortable with this process of church at home. I hope that you're comfortable inviting people into your home and inviting people into your worship experiences and inviting them into your Bible studies. And and I hope that you're continuing to find it easy to invite them into, well, your church now. But uh, I hope that will continue as we start really making some big plans on on getting back into church uh, together live. And uh, and so I also wanted to say this. I, I We have recognized over the last couple of months that there are a lot of people talking about what they're looking for in a church. And many people throughout the River Valley have been watching online. And while we are so appreciative of that, we, you know, we are Connect Church, and that's who we are in effort to minister to. But what we've learned is as you minister to people, there's other, other people that kind of come into, uh, into uh, the, the place of ministry. And so uh, if that's you and you've been watching from week to week online and you wouldn't necessarily consider yourself a part of Connect Church, I hope that you'll start giving real thoughts to that, what it looks like to become a part of our family. It's it's one thing to be a part of that family when you're at home in your own comfort, but how important is it? It is so important for us to be together face to face. And so if you don't have a church home and you think that you might want uh, the truth that God has been presenting to us over the last few months and you want to, to, to belong to a group of people who are trying to follow that truth, I encourage you to start really giving a lot of thought to to becoming a part of Connect Church. Uh, maybe you don't live in the River Valley and, and attending here isn't possible. I hope that you'll consider to continue to to view online uh, week to week. The important thing is is to be nourished by the Word of God, by the presence of God, and uh, by the Spirit of God, and then also to see how that works out through the lives and relationships of other people. So uh, church is so important. And it's one thing to get content, uh, to just get educated and to get information. It's another thing to live that out as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to really push uh, everyone toward, those who are already a part of our church and those who are, are not quite a part of our church yet. Uh, I hope that you'll consider doing that. Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 today. And go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And get this, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
let's pray together. Lord, we pray for the reading over the reading of your word. Pray that it would be a blessing in and of itself. It is the blessing. And so I pray that as your word goes into us, our spirits will be receptive to what you say. I pray for sensitivity in my speaking. I pray for sensitivity in our hearing. May we hear not my words, but what the spirit says to the church. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Well, what we're finding in Acts chapter 6 is that fruitful ministry is continuing. We have seen that ever since the day of ascension when Jesus uh, went back to, uh, back to the Father. But we're also now six chapters into the book of Acts, and, we're, and we, I think we can call it a pattern now. We see a pattern develop. The pattern that I'm noticing is that there are good things that happen, the things that we long for, you know, the growth, development, miracles, success, breakthroughs, discipleship, conversions, unity. But then something gets in the way of it progressing. Something, something threatens the great things that are happening. And then as a conclusion to the pattern, the difficulty is used to produce even better results. And we are beginning to learn that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So I want you to see this pattern. Uh, Good things happen, but then something gets in the way. And, and once God's people are faithful to what God has said for them to do, there is always a way through the difficulty to even better results. Now, I want you to understand that this is not an early church pattern alone. This is still the same pattern that God uh, has developed for our lives as well. Good things are going to happen to us, but there's always going to be uh, some development in our life that threatens the good things that we've been looking for. And so when those, when those things that come into our life, those crises happen, we need to find the biblical solution to work through it in obedience to what God has said is believe what God says to us instead of acting on our, our feelings. We need to be honest with the Lord and we need to obey the Lord. And we will see that what God does is even better than what we had to begin with. So uh, this passage of scripture, we're going to work through it and, uh, and, and see some things that are not really hidden, but I'm afraid they've been hidden because we've chosen not to see it. And, it, you know, you look at verse one, it starts out with, there is a complaint. Uh, now I know a complaint at church, who would have thought? But uh, this is not the typical kind of complaint uh, that the church has grown accustomed to. You know, the kind of complaint where you don't like something and instead of instead of solving the problem, we just talk about it to other people who can't solve the problem. It's not that kind of complaint. It's not the kind of complaint where, uh, you know, this is not necessarily selfish. It's not even it's not even uh, personal uh, to 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 everyone. And they're not trying to, they're not trying to deal with this in a public arena to create sides. So, so this word complaint is so incredibly important because it tells us some things that the English translation doesn't tell us. What it, the, the word complaint here, uh, or dispute is another good translation. It's a secret complaint. It's a secret problem. It's not a problem that comes to the surface and manifests outwardly in public. It's a private issue. And so what that tells us is that while the complaint was valid, it didn't, uh, it, it wasn't, the complaint itself wasn't used to create division because division had already been created. And so what it tells us is that this complaint was dealt with in a very biblical way. How is that? Well, the ones who could help with the problem were the apostles. 
So these folks were not being heard in their complaint. And so they went and they told their complaint to the apostles. And immediately it was brought to the apostles' attention and it was dealt with in a biblical fashion. What was the issue? Well, soundly enough, it was prejudice. Yet prejudice. And I know we're kind of living in high tension right now in our culture, in our in, in America for sure. And, uh, but that's what we're going to talk about today is these prejudices. So let's break it down, break down the issue as quickly as we can. And we're going to draw some parallels for our own, our own day. All right. There's two, 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 uh, primary groups that we're dealing with here. And, and the English says Hebrews and, and also uses the word Hellenists. Well, these are Hebrew Jews and these are Hellenistic Jews. The, the Hebrew Jews were traditional. They, they were in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem. They observed feast days. They, they went to the temple every day for their prayers. They did all of the, everything, every jot and tittle of the law they followed. And it was more than the law. It was even the customs. Their customs had become their law as well. Uh, I wouldn't say that they were legalists because what they thought they were doing was winning God's favor by their obedience. But they were obedient to their customs, not just to the laws of God. The other group are the Hellenists. These are the Hellenistic Jews. Uh, they are not traditional. Uh, Jews. They are not from Jerusalem. They, some of them didn't even grow up as Jews, but they became proselytes or converts to Judaism. And now they're not just converts to Judaism. They've become converted uh, to Christianity. So they're Hellenists, which means that their Judaism has a Greek background. It's been influenced by Greek thought and Greek culture. Now, you think that there are uh, racial tensions today, and there indeed there are, but they were not different than the traditional Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews looked at the traditional Jews, the Hebrew Jews, as, oh, you think you're so much better than me. And, you know, we would say holier than thou. You know, you, you think that I'm some kind of a, you know, a, 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 a half wit, uh, or my commitment isn't as great as yours because my actions aren't the same as yours. But the Hebrew Jews looked at the Hellenistic Jews as, as half wits and that they were not the same and that they were sellouts and that they were less thans. And so they didn't give them the same credibility. Uh, they never, they never had. In fact, this is not a Christian issue. This is a Judaism issue because that same tension existed throughout the temple with traditional Jews and with Hellenistic Jews worshiping together in the same place. They were greatly divided, even had different places of worship. Uh, they didn't minister together or to each other. And when they came to Jesus Christ, their prejudice didn't change there obviously was still a real issue. And so uh, here it is manifesting in the, uh, in the, in the Christian world. And, and so they're experiencing, now notice, remember, over the last few weeks, it's unity, 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 right? The church continuing to have unity. And here all of a sudden, the Lord, who is sovereign over all things, allows this prejudice issue to find a root in Christianity. Now, you would think God being sovereign, he would eliminate that from their problems. But what God is doing is giving them this crisis for the world to be able to see how Christians work through the issue. He is using the Christian people, the very first generation Christians, to show the world how to deal with categories of people or divisions of people or disunity. Now, Satan has been attacking the church well pretty clearly. I think we can go back from the very beginning. 
but he's always attacked it from the outside. He's always used the religious leaders or or, or other outside uh, issues going on. Um, but even in the conflict, the church continued to grow and continued to unify. But now in the middle of very good days and fruitful ministry, God allows Satan to disrupt everything that's going on and to create division with this complaint. But rather than the conflict coming from the outside, now the conflict isn't coming from the temple or from the religious leaders or from the world. The conflict that's getting in the way of great things is the church itself. It's coming from within and it's threatening their unity. Now, Satan will will use both divisions to stop unity, uh, turning the world against the church. And sometimes, and I want us to listen to this very closely, obviously I'm speaking to the church, but sometimes Satan will use Christians turning against Christians even in the same fellowship. And we have to recognize that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities of darkness. And so we need to remember who, who our war is really with. So uh, we have uh, we are in a uh, heated season in our country. There's no doubt about that. Uh, lines have been drawn, but I want you to understand these are not new lines. These are these are old lines, and it's not a race thing. Okay, it's very important, and I'm I'm going to say some things today, and I want you to hear me with all sorts of grace. But this is not a race issue, okay? And it's not a financial issue. It's not an education issue. It's not a, a beauty or attraction issue. And what I mean by that is if you've noticed, wherever you go in the world, people divide themselves into camps. You know, you have the, the educated people always look down their nose at the uneducated. The people who have lots of money look down their nose at those who don't have much money. Now, this is, I'm, these are exaggerated. I, I know that they're, they're not absolutes. Uh, but, uh, you know, the beautiful people huddle up together. And you always see this. We see people who, you know, the tall people, small people, big people. And, and, and we, we love to carve out territory where we, where we use us and them. Sometimes it manifests with skin color, but it is not a skin color issue. And what I mean by that doesn't mean that it's not an issue. What I mean by that is solving the race issue doesn't solve the root problem because the root problem is much deeper than the color of our skin. The root problem is the brokenness in our heart. It's our fallen nature. If you remember, I know you get tired of me saying this, but all the way back into Genesis chapter 3 where there is the first little bit of conflict, what we have is one person blaming another person. It is an us and them. And what Adam and Eve decided to do to cover was to use fig leaves. And it seems to me that the world is continuing to, ex- uh, to insist that we use fig leaves to cover ourselves rather than the blood of Jesus. Fig leaves will never solve the problem. And when we try to turn to governments and to legislations and all of these other things, it's just trying to cover the issue with fig leaves. We've got to learn our lesson. And so God puts these crises in our environments from time to time so that the world can look at the church to see how does the church deal with it. In fact, it's the one marker that Jesus said, when the world sees the love that Christians have for each other, that's when they'll know that the Father sent me to them. Right, So we need to understand that this is a significant gift that God gives to the church. It's not an opportunity for us to have an opinion about politics. It's an opportunity for us to present the gospel clearly to the broken heart and to the fallen nature of, of, of people. 
You see, when in, in, you go back into Genesis chapter 11 and you start seeing this with Babel. This was the big issue. People start dividing themselves out. And, and we see that even with Israel. And when Israel was called to reach the nations, but they wouldn't do it. They hated the other nations. And so from time to time, God would have to put them under uh, in uh, suppression to other countries. And what does Israel do? They learn their lesson. And very quickly, as soon as they come out of slavery, what do they do? They put other people into suppression, into submission, uh, into, uh, uh, into some kind of oppressive uh, state. That's what we do. We, we want justice. We want righteousness. We want vindication. And the only way to get it is to bring everybody else down and make them experience the same thing that we've experienced. But that is not the kingdom of God. That is not what justice means. We have so perverted the name of justice. So uh, we need to understand that this issue is not flesh and blood issue. It is a spiritual issue. And the world, apart from Jesus Christ, does not have the resources and it does not have the, uh, the mandate and it does not have the ability to solve the problem. In fact, it's always going to be a part of the problem. So if you want to know where divisions and conflict and strife come from, well, just look within. Look at our own fallenness. Now, these were good people. And they were saying yes to Jesus. In fact, they were turning their back on everything that they had ever held on to. They were influential. They were reaching people in mass. But that doesn't mean that they still didn't have work to do and, and, and to accomplish, to, to work things out, some things to work things through. And God uses those things too. So remember, these are His people. This is His church. These are His leaders. They are empowered with His Holy Spirit and they're dealing with junk. Absolute junk. Because of the pressures and the personalities of the day, many seek to avoid conflict, right? We even hear people say things like that. We think of conflict as some kind of, uh, you know, an inherently bad thing. But what if it's not? The only time it's bad is when we don't handle it biblically. When we don't ha- uh, handle conflict biblically, we can't handle it godly. And that's what God continually gives us opportunities to do. We can't avoid conflict, but we often hear people say, I hate conflict or I avoid all conflict. But we can't. Now, I'm not saying I'm pro-conflict because I don't like conflict. But I've also learned this. When there is conflict, if we will listen to the voice of God, if we will, if we will be committed to His voice, to His heart, and we speak His words, conflict can cause growth and development not only with the person we have conflict, but often in our own lives as well. What if a piece of wood says, I really don't like sandpaper? You know, I mean, I know that's a silly illustration. Uh, if, if a piece of wood said, I avoid sandpaper at all costs. Well, if, if wood were able to do that, it could never be crafted into what it was supposed to be. But I think Christians are the same way. If we avoid conflict, you know as well as I do. When you avoid conflict, that's not peace. It sometimes creates built-up tension and pressure. So the goal of our life is not to avoid conflict, but to deal with it in a biblical way. And that's what we see these folks beginning to do. We gather uh, often in groups of people and we share our opinions. And when we begin to do that, we will fail to grow. We stifle our own growth and development as people and as followers of Christ. And so we will avoid conflict, but sometimes God uses conflict in our lives. He certainly uses it here. The brokenness of our ease and our comfort and the tensions of relationships can produce Christ-likeness like, like nothing else can.
Now, that doesn't mean that God creates the conflict, but He uses the conflict that comes out of our brokenness, our fallen natures for redemption. Now, now look at this. What is this church dealing with specifically? Uh, it's injustice. It's, it's neglect. Some people weren't being cared for in the same way that other people were being cared for. Some people were being overlooked. Was it intentional? How would we know? We, we will never know, although I believe that there are some clues that we'll get to in a few moments. But listen to this. Here's the thing, and I think this is so important. I've never heard anybody talk about this before, but the early church was called to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, right? Everywhere else they're going to go, they're going to deal with conflict. Everywhere else they go, they're going to deal with people that are not like them. Their culture's not like them. Their environment's not like them. Their backgrounds are not like them. And before they can go out into the uttermost parts of the world and deal with conflict, it is best to practice right among their own peer group, right along their own brother's and sisters. They're going to need to understand their prejudices. If you were to ask any of them, are you prejudiced? They'd have probably said, no, some of my best friends are Hellenists. Or no, some of my best friends are Hebrews. But there is, there is something here. There is some sort of prejudice here that they're going to have to work through for them to be able to show the redemption of Jesus Christ in every culture on the face of the earth. So is there a solution to our prejudices? Uh, is, is the solution just to immerse ourselves in it and to learn to compromise? I don't think that's the solution. I think the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some of your translations will say compels us. It is our motivation, right? The love of Christ is our motivation because motivation matters. Why we do, why we think, why we feel matters. He says, we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. I love that. We don't talk about that word very often or that that verse very often, but the love of Christ compels us because Jesus died for every human being. So then, every human being have died in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that every human being is inherently saved. What it does mean is that they qualify for salvation. Jesus died for all. That word all is found 5,433 times in Scripture. It's a really important word. In fact, if you look at what the New Testament has to say about that word in Galatians chapter 3, and then again in Ephesians chapter 2, what was the church doing? The Galatian, the church at Galatia, they were putting people into categories. The church at Ephesus, putting people into classifications. It's always been an issue. It was an issue in the early church because it's always been an issue of our fallen nature. Look at Israel. When God told, uh, when God told them to, to, to reach the nations, they, they just couldn't figure it out. They never could figure it out. The only way to remedy this kind of behavior is to bring it under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, I want you to hear my heart here and not just my words. But the goal isn't to see everyone become white. It's not the goal isn't that everyone become a Jew or everyone become a Greek Jew or that everyone become black, that everyone become a Gentile. The goal is for everyone to see Jesus Christ 
in diversity, in every scenario, in every situation, in every background, in every people group. The goal is to see Jesus. You see, God God created us different. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but God intentionally did not create us to be the same. So for us to try to get back to a place where we're all the same is almost seems to be going against what God intended to begin with. He created us different so that we can display His kingdom in a multitude of cultures. They aren't supposed to look the same. We're supposed to have different cultures. But we're we're supposed to be able to see every culture redeemed by the name of Jesus Christ. Instead, we're talking about skin color. And we're talking about things that don't even pertain to the kingdom of God. No wonder we're living in such disunity in our country. His kingdom is varied, but it can dwell in unity. And it's only possible by renewed thinking. And renewed thinking is only possible by our dead spirits becoming alive again. And our dead spirits can only become alive through His empowerment. Even Paul had to rebuke Peter when Peter thought men should become Jews before they could become Christians. And Peter, you know, Peter was a powerhouse, and he didn't have it figured out. Paul talked about that to the church at Galatia when they was dealing with their racism. Let's keep going in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all, talking about Jesus, that those who might live, uh, who live no, might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That has nothing to do with culture. It has everything to do with what we see. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Now, this is the verse we know. But you can't have verse 17 without verses 14, 15, and 16. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Likewise, it says down just a little further that we have become ministers of reconciliation because we have been reconciled. We are, it says it here in 2 Corinthians, we are His ambassadors. We represent Him, not our flavor. We represent Him. We demonstrate His kingdom policies, His kingdom rules. When we focus on this world, we're going to see people. But when we focus on His kingdom, we're going to be able to see Him. In Galatians chapter 3, this is where Paul is talking to the, uh, to the church. And he actually says that no longer do we see Jews or Greeks or slaves or free or men or women. Because we who belong to Christ are all one. Philippians chapter 3, whole nother city, whole nother people, whole nother book, whole different church, dealing with putting people into categories. Always an issue. And, uh, and listen, it's always going to be an issue without Jesus in the forefront of our minds and our hearts and being empowered by His Spirit. Paul talks about all the things that he had that was so much better than everybody else. His pedigree, his money, his fame, his family, his education, his status. You know what he said? All of these things, all of these different categories that you could put me in, here's what I have found in proportion to Christ in my life. I count them all as loss. Every identifier 
is loss. What a statement. That word loss actually means damaged goods. It doesn't mean that he just sets them to the side and he doesn't have them anymore. What Paul is saying is everything, everything of value in my life, now I recognize the damage that it has done and the damage that it has. A little further down in that verse, it says that he counts them all of these things as rubbish. What a great English word, rubbish. What it actually means is animal dung, completely useless. Well, it was an issue with a growing group of people, and it needed to be cut out ASAP. So they bring it to the church, and the church now has to come up with a solution. The, the problem, of course, was that the Hellenists, the Hellenistic Jews, the, the, Gentile, the uh, Greek Jews, converts, uh, were, were, when it came time for the daily distribution, there wasn't enough food for them. Now, whether there really was or not, we can't possibly know that. But by the way, the church was doing a daily distribution uh, for the widows. Uh, history tells us that this was a very important thing that took place. The priest participated in this at the temple every day. And you know who they served every day? The Hebrew Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, the widows. That's who they distributed to every day. But now this group of Hebrew Jews and this group of Hellenistic Jews no longer qualified. They were being shown prejudice because they had become Christians. They couldn't come and get the Jewish food anymore. They had to go get the Christian food. And so the apostles in the early church had to begin to do their own daily distribution. And now the Hellenistic Jews go over into this group. You know, when they were over at the temple, they all belonged together. But now that they're over in the Christian group, they're back into divisions again. And they're being shown prejudice even among their own people. The priests did this for the city's widows. Uh, well, I, I, you know, it'd be easy for it'd be easy for us to give them the benefit of the doubt because... Uh, after all, the, pre- the high priests and, and all the Pharisees and Sadducees have been telling Peter and John and all of the disciples, quit preaching, and they won't quit preaching. So you know what? If you're not going to quit preaching the name of Jesus, let Jesus feed your people. And that's exactly what he was doing. But the good news is the church stepped up to show the love and justice of Jesus to these disenfranchised widows. The bad news is the more Jewish ones were neglecting the less Jewish ones. Will it ever stop? Anyway, there's lots going on here. Uh, truth is, and just to kind of sum up verse, this verse, uh, legislation and government does not have the means nor the ability to meet this need. Only the church has the ability. Because only the church has the gospel inside of her followers, and her followers alone have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit inside them. So that is the reason why the church, Christians, born-again believers, cannot remain silent when we see injustice. We must speak up. We must serve up those who are being neglected. And not just because their voice needs to be heard, but because they need to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Right? I know. All right. Verse 2. We can uh, uh, quickly prioritize the the works of ministry. So we see here uh, the, the apostles say this is needful. It's very important. But we're not going to do it. We have... A first calling. But some of you have another calling. Our first calling is the preaching of the Word of God and prayer. And, you know, for these other men, you need to find some other men that you believe have as a first calling 
the ability to uh, administrate and to serve these who uh, equally in proportion to what they need. So when we neglect the word and prayer, we can still serve, but the foundation will quickly be eroded. I think about if what if the apostles had said, okay, we'll have to split our time. So now we're going to preach a little and we're going to serve a little. Uh, it, it doesn't take very long if they lay their Bibles down to get busy serving and they just become humanitarians and forget why they're doing it. The other side of that is if you're only, so if you're only in the Word of God and you're never living it out, you'll never make a difference for the kingdom of God. So we need this balance, but it can't be balanced in one person. That's why it's important in a church for some to be able to give attention to the Word of God and uh, the, the administration of the Word of God, and some need to be very involved in the lives of, uh, of people. And sometimes they, those can balance out in the same person, but everybody has as a, uh, a ministry a first calling in order to be able to demonstrate the kingdom of God and the life of, of Christ. Okay, let's move, let's move on. And, and when they say we're not going to serve tables, they're not saying that it's beneath them. They're simply, and I think it's important because the English kind of looks like we're not going to stop preaching to serve tables. Uh, that's, that's not the heart at all. What they are doing is they are uh, expanding their, their leadership. And uh, and doing asking others to do jobs that only they they can do. So uh, they're not just putting people into roles, though. They are giving qualifications too. So let's look at what these early qualifications are. Uh, they need to have a good reputation, right? It comes that word "good reputation" actually comes from the word that means martyr. And what does that word mean? Well, it means someone who has proved that they have experienced a thing. Someone who has proved that they've experienced a thing. So when you think about setting someone aside who has a good reputation or good repute, it is they have bore witness that their lives are wrapped up in the life of Jesus Christ. They are truly experienced being born again. They also got to be full of the Holy Spirit. Now remember a few weeks ago we talked about what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and how leaky of an experience this is. But these leaders are to remain full at all times. Now, are these qualifications unreasonable? Well, of course not. They should represent the character of every true Christian. But for leadership, one must already be demonstrating these qualifications. So the church can select them, but the apostles are going to appoint them. And I think that's very important. It's a great way for, a, for them to have buy-in from the people and also to have authority and accountability from the apostles. That's why we still do the same process today. Now, we're almost finished, but I want you to notice a couple of things before we go. This passage goes on to list the seven men. And it's not that we need to know their names, but I think that it is incredibly important. And, and by the way, seven, I don't believe that seven is a magical deacon number. A lot of churches believe that. I don't, I don't believe that that is true. Uh, what if it is that this is a daily distribution and there are how many days in a week? What if it, one man was in charge or is his role to to oversee each you know a day a week i don't know that that's the case but uh, i don't think seven is a magic deacon number now i want you to look and we're not going to i'm not going to teach all the way through this but stephen now we're going to talk about stephen maybe a little bit next week but stephen uh, is a greek name in fact we know from history that stephen was a hellenistic jew philip 
Philip also, a Greek name. It was uh, very common then because it was Alexander the Great's dad's name, who was a tremendous leader, Philip of Macedon. And in fact, we know that Philip later traveled to Samaria as an outsider. Uh, Procurus was a Greek name. Most believe that he was the nephew of Stephen, also a Hellenistic Jew. Nicanor, he was from Cyprus, not from Jerusalem. Timon, he is a Hellenized Jew. Actually, he became the uh, bishop of the uh, island of Greece. And so if that tells you how Hellenistic he was, Parmenas, uh, it's a Greek name. We know nothing about it except that his name is Greek. And lastly, Nicholas. The book of Acts, actually here in chapter 6, tells us that he was a convert to Judaism and then later became a convert to Christ. So to become a convert to Judaism, he wasn't even a Jew by birth. Now listen to this. The Hellenistic Jews, the minority, came to the apostles and said, we're not receiving fair treatment, and it's because we're not like them. And the apostles said, here's a fair way to settle this. All of you who are here together find seven men that have shown evidence that they're walking with Jesus and that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and let them handle this distribution for you. And you know what all of these people, including the minority and the majority, decided to do? Seven, at least six of these men are Hellenistic Jews. They put these people in charge of handling their own uh, distribution. Incredible. I don't know that we've ever seen that like that before. But here's the major takeaways from the early church. There was neglect and perceived prejudice taking place. And we need navigators to help us navigate this. The apostles put them all together and, uh, and they voted on them. And what a beautiful picture. If... If only we could be that full of the Holy Spirit today to handle our own racism and prejudices, to get that close and to trust those that are not like us for leadership. Well, back to the pattern. Good things, crisis, better things. Look at verse 7. And the Word of God continued to increase. I mean, right in the middle, right smack dab in the middle of division. The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And get this, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That seems to come out of nowhere, but here's what's going on. The priests are in charge of the daily distribution over here with all of this division. But these priests see something different in this distribution. There's something different about this love. And these born and bred priests are surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because they're watching God's people work through crisis in a biblical, loving way where they are putting together a system where they are bringing justice and righteousness into the equation. That's why I don't think the neglect was intentional, but there's a whole lot of thing, the whole lot of our thinking toward other people that are not like us that's not intentional, but it's there. But when it... Times like this in our day give us an opportunity to pause and to think. And I doubt that there's anybody watching that hasn't thought to themselves over the last few weeks, what does my heart say? How does my heart feel? Do I feel that way sometimes? This gives us a great opportunity to demonstrate not our voice being heard about race issues, but about demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ and His ability to overcome our brokenness and our fallen nature. I implore you, we cannot stay silent. 
We must, we must bring all things reconciled to Christ. And that includes our brothers and sisters of all backgrounds, of all educations, of all finances, of all skin tones. I think it's time for us to recognize our own prejudices, our own excuses, our own intentional or unintentional neglect. I want you to think about in the kingdom of God, there is in one of the last scenes in the book of Revelation, you remember every tribe, every nation, every tongue, right? And I love that. You know, one of the identifiers that's not mentioned is every skin color. Because there are no races. You talk about what you know, racial issues and this race and that race. God didn't create races. He created a race, the human race. And when we start seeing differences in people because of their skin color, because of their ethnicities, because of their backgrounds, we're neglecting to see Jesus Christ in those moments. And that's not justice. And that's certainly not righteousness, which, by the way, it's important to draw out that when you go into the Old Testament, you look up social justice or justice with retribution, or you look up the word righteousness, the word righteousness and the word justice is the exact same word. It's the word sadaka. If you need to remember it, you remember some of you are old enough to remember Neil Sadaka. Uh, he was Jewish. That's where his family name comes from, is uh, being just and righteous. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, the Lord says, What I require of you, but to love justice and to do mercy. And, uh, and I think, or to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly before the Lord our God. So we know that God has put within us, in His Spirit, a desire and an ability to bring about justice. Well, justice is righteousness. And so if we're going to live righteously in this world, the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be at the forefront of our ability to speak into every crisis and every division and every dispute. I pray that you are taking the resources that God has placed in you already and you're using them for His glory. If we are righteous and we bring that righteousness into the loves of the broken and the neglected, it's not a skin color issue. Well, It's not only a skin color issue. It's a brokenness issue. And the gospel does well when God's people hear the proper complaints and bring the empowerment of the Holy Spirit into the situation. And we can sit back and we can think that legislation or welfare or government assistance programs or systems will solve our problem. They won't. They can't. They're not empowered like you are. So I encourage you, look within and then look without and make sure you look with Jesus' eyes. We won't solve the problems but we might win some to the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together this morning. I just pray your blessing over the reading of your word. And may we see some things in there that might give some meaning to our days and uh, might give us some perspective of what you expect the church to do. And uh, help us, Lord, not to neglect that. Uh, I I pray that as as we pray that your kingdom in eternity looks like all sorts of different kinds of people. Shouldn't your church look like that now? And Lord, if you intend for your church, the kingdom of God now to look like that, shouldn't our friend groups look like that now? So Lord, I pray that you'd give give us wisdom for our days. Continue to remind us of our empowerment through your spirit. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.